Put your hands together. Let's love the Lord. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Hallelujah. Go clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come on, there's some men in here that can just step into something special here this morning. I know it's a Saturday and you've had a long weekend, but there's one more push in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. There's a powerful move of the Holy Ghost this morning. I really feel the power of the Holy Ghost this morning. I thank you so much. I'm not worthy to stand before you, but I'm so honored to be asked to be among you. And it's been an honor to be able to be invited to the Alaska Yukon District. And pastoring and laboring with you and among you is one of the most uh, rewarding rewarding things of my whole entire career and life as a man of God. Amen. I give honor to Elder Churchill. Give honor to Brother Glover, all the pastors that are here today. It's good to have Brother Eichard back in the state of Alaska. I met this young man uh, probably about six years ago. I was up here fishing and um, I had no idea that I'd end up living, living in Alaska. I just wanted to come catch a salmon. It didn't take long before the Lord started dealing with me about coming to live and ministering in Alaska. I won't, I won't hold you up today enough of the preliminaries. Um, if you're here to hear some preaching, say amen. amen. Praise God. Under, under much prayer and, um, and, and seeking after the Lord, uh, this is what the Lord gave me to preach to you this morning. If you will turn with me to the book of Samuel, chapter 14, beginning at 1 Samuel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, now going down through verse 6 and then into 7. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father, and Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. And it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Let me bring it back to your mind here. He says, Do all that is in thine heart. Behold, I am with thee. I am with thee. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Before you're seated, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated in Jesus' name. 1 Samuel 14 tells us that Jonathan and his armor bearer had made a pact. They uh, had seen these uncircumcised Philistines. They had seen how they were taunting God's people, putting the battle in array, setting all the situations and and taunting the, the, the people of God. Jonathan was fed up with it. 
He was completely tired of the situation. Sometimes we have to understand we need to be fed up with some things. We're going to have to get it down into our our intestinal fortitude, if you will, and say, I am fed up with what the world is throwing at me. I'm fed up with what the devil is trying to do to my church and my family and my life. Uh, Hallelujah. And he said, I'm not going to stand for it anymore. And then that young man that was with him, who was his armor bearer, was his ride or die, if you will, he said, do all that is in thine heart. He said, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the numbers look like, I am with you. Hallelujah. I believe, I believe that Jonathan and his armor bearer understood what Joshua said when he said, I one could put a thousand to flight and two could put ten thousand to flight. Let me ask you today, if one could put a thousand to flight and two could put ten thousand to flight, what can ten, what can twenty, What can 30 people do? Come on, give the Lord. There's not a devil in hell that can stand against a child of God when there's people that stand together. There's power in unity and agreement. Hear me today. There's power in unity and agreement. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in His name there, He is in the midst where one or two are touching a thing. God says it'll be so. Why? Because there's power in the spirit of unity. I want to preach to you the supernatural power of unity. The supernatural power of unity. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. In ancient days of the Romans and the Greeks and, and, and the Spartans and the Titans and all these different uh, warlords and these different uh, military armies of the days in history, the greatest military tacticians had an understanding that if they recruited early, They were able to recruit young boys, not old men. They recruited young boys and brought them into their military. And the first thing they did is they did not give them a spear. They did not give them a sword. They did not give them any any weapon of war. The first thing they did is they taught them how to march. They taught them how to walk together, march together, and day in and day out, they taught them to walk and march together. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. About face, one, two, one, two, one, two. And it was under, it was monotonous thing. It was a very monotonous thing. And these young boys probably did not have a clue what was going on. But the, but the generals and, and the tacticians and the drill sergeants had an understanding. Brother Scott. They knew that if they could get these boys to walk together, they could get these boys to work together. If they were able to walk together, and they were able to work together, and they just kept drilling it into them, it became second nature. It became something that was so easily understood that they knew that if they could get them in unity together, they could work as a well-oiled machine. It's the power of unity. They had an understanding of unity. They, They had an understanding that if you work together and you walk together on a consistent basis, then you know what your job is. You know what you're supposed to do and then they started adding implements of war and the first thing they added was not a sword the first thing they added was not a spear the first thing they added was a shield 
And the Romans called it, the, the, the Italians and the Greeks, they call it the phalanx. It was a huge shield that they held in their left hand. And they taught them how to thrust with the shield. They taught them how to block with the shield. They taught them how to use a defensive weapon for an offensive force. Because a great defense is the best offense. A great defense is the best offense. And as they're standing there, they had an understanding of what the power of the shield was. And they called this phalanx a shield wall. And the way that this worked was they had a spear in their right hand or they had a sword in their right hand and the shield was in their left hand and the shield only protected one half of their body and it protected the other half of the guy next to them's body. See, if you're doing your job and they're doing their job, not only does it affect you, but it affects your neighbor. And if you're doing it correctly, like they called you to do and God's called you to do, not only are you affecting yourself, but you're affecting the guy next to you. You're affecting the somebody that's next to you that's in the battle with you. So there's no time. Oh, I didn't want to go here. But there's no time for complacency. There's no room for complacency. There's no room to be on your cell phone when God is saying, hey, this is what we got to do. Right, right. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, it's getting heavy up in here. But if we're doing what we're supposed to do, then we're protecting ourselves and we're te- protecting our neighbor. And this shield wall, the way that it worked is it was impenetrable. They could bring horses and run horses into this shield wall, and it would not penetrate because you, before you, you had the shields. And behind you, Brother Seagrace, you had many more soldiers that were pushing you and holding your back like this. And that shield wall would go forward and push forward. And in a defensive posture, brethren, you could take back ground. You could go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole. You could move forward upon the enemy's garrison and destroy and take back. And it's impenetrable. When they started throwing the darts and they get within the range of the fiery darts and the arrows and and all the cannonballs and all the stuff that was coming their way, all they had to do was bring the wall up and take shields and put them over their head and they just moved forward. And it was impenetrable. And they could get to the city gate and they could ram the city gate and the devil cannot fight a shield wall the enemy cannot destroy what God has put together but it takes unity it takes power it takes anointing it takes commitment it takes men to decide that hey we're in this together we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder and we're going to do what God's called us to do There's power in the spirit of unity. Say it with me. There's power in unity. Jesus tells the disciples the first thing he does is he sends them out two by two. Why is that? Why does he send them out two by two, Pastor Churchill? Because you need somebody to get your back. Two or three are gathered together. 
one or two are touching one thing. He sends you out because when you're low, your friend's high. And when you're low, your friend's high. And when he's low, you're high. You work together in unity. You need to be able to understand that God puts things together with unity. He preaches to them in Mark chapter 16. He says, go and preach the gospel. These are the keys to revival. Preach the gospel, Jesus tells them. The second thing is that they must must believe and be baptized. You must first believe that he is, Hebrews 11 and 6. For you to be effective in the kingdom of God, brethren, you must first believe that he is. And he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. What do you mean by he is? He is everything. He's my doctor. He's my lawyer. He's my way maker. He's my provider. He's my, he's my light in the night. He's the lamp unto my feet. He's the light unto my path. He's the God that directs me. He's the God that delivers me. He's the God that provides for me. When you throw everything to the side and say he is, and he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him, then he becomes that. He becomes that. Mark 16, and they came into covenant with Jesus Christ. They were baptized. They believe, and they were baptized. Uh, Number four, the fourth key is they tarried in the upper room. Uh, But this is the thing. They were in one mind and one accord. Let me help you out here. Some of you have children. I have four. Four teenagers now. My, my, uh, My middle girl today turned 16 years old. Man, I've gotten old, Brother Churchill that happen? Looking at my boy over there, he turns 18 in a couple weeks. That poor boy ain't got a chance against them three girls. But this is the thing. There's some wisdom in this. Hear me. I I pondered it. How, what, what moved the hand of God? What caused the day of Pentecost? Now, I understand what Pentecost means, the 50th and and the Passover and understanding all that. But I believe that there's a little more to it than just just, uh, uh, they they showed up. As a parent, hear me, as a parent that struggles as a parent, um, when you decide to go out to eat in Kenai, there's not a whole lot of options. But... Down in the lower 48 where I was from, there was all kinds of options. But in Kenai, it was a little different, but there's still a few options. But when we go out to eat, Pastor Churchill, Brother Playoff, when we go out to eat and we're driving down the road, I say, okay, where do y'all want to eat? One of them says, well, I want Mexican. The other one says, well, I want Italian. One says that I, I hate seafood, so it's a never for that one on seafood. One wants cheeseburgers. One wants pizza. And so you have all these different uh, uh, agendas, and everybody wants what they want. You never can get all four children and mom together, but we have to have an understanding that that whatever mama says is where we're really going. And you also know that dad's paying, so I'm like the CEO. Whatever I'm doing is where they're going. Otherwise, it's it's dishwashing time for them. But this is the deal. Check it out. But if we could get everybody together, then it goes very much smoother. Now, let me, let me bring you back 2,000 years ago to the upper room. The Bible says there were 120 in the upper room. 
They were there together in the upper room, and they were waiting. Ten days they're waiting, Brother Seagraves. They're standing there waiting for a move of God. They don't even know what's going They just know that they want this thing. Ten days. I believe in my heart that it took all ten days to get 120 people. That was the miracle, friend. Not only was the Holy Ghost the miracle, not only was it when they were standing there and the people coming and heard it noise abroad and they heard the language in their own in their own dialect, all 120 speaking in their dialect. That's another miracle that happened. But I believe what really happened in that day was when they got there, they decided that I want this thing more than my own personal agenda. I want Jesus more than I want my own ideology. I want Jesus more than my own thought process on how it's going to come. And when the last guy fell to his knees and said, God, not my will, but your will, the Spirit comes. Came in like a Russian mighty wind. And it changed the world. Because of the power of unity. The Spirit of God moves at the hands of unity. Can I say it this way? Unity moves the hand of God. Unity moves the hand of God. So we see it further in the book of Acts. Now we've moved to Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are going up to the temple. They see the lame man. Peter tells him, stand up and walk. They take him into the temple. The Bible says they see him walking and leaping and praising God. He goes inside the temple. And these Pharisees or these Sadducees or whoever sees they were, these priests, they walk by this cracker every day. They saw him. They walked by him every day. They knew who he was, Pastor Churchill. That's the reason they couldn't deny it. They knew who this this dude was. They walked by him, looked at him, and just kept walking. Now he's standing in front of them with complete healing, complete virtue. He has enough energy to dance. He has enough energy to jump. He has enough energy to shout. Brother Adams, they couldn't deny him no more. They ask him, whose power, by whose power is this possible? And they say, by the name of Jesus, whom this man has found, his perfect soundness. And so then they tell them, hey, hey, we don't want you to preach no more in that name. No, 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 you can't be mentioning that name because that that is a reminder of the bad thing we did. His blood is upon us. We don't want to hear that. We don't, we don't want to hear that no more. Don't go and preach. So they slap them around and they send them, they send them out. Now, Pete and John, they could have had an opportunity to go home and suck their finger but, or suck their, their thumb, but they decided not to do that. What does the Bible say happened next? They came together, a brethren of like faith. And they prayed for boldness. And they came together in the spirit of unity. The Bible says that the place was shaken.
because of people come together, the place is shaken. The Spirit of God comes into the house and it shakes the rafters. Not only does it shake the physical atmosphere, but it shakes the supernatural atmosphere and God responded and people were filled with the Holy Ghost. And you see in Acts chapter 5, hallelujah, there was more souls saved, thousands more saved because somebody decided to come together in the spirit of unity and allow God to work. Oh, shout unto God. Let me tell you something. The Bible tells us, Jesus continuing on in Mark chapter 16, he says it this way, he says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Well, I, 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 I don't have my local license, so I can't do a miracle. I, I, I didn't go to IBC or CLC, so, so I can't pray for somebody to be healed. That ain't what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me, Brother Eichert, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Brother Esparza, if you're here today and there's breath in your body, Brother Via, then you're a believer and signs shall follow you. What's it going to take before signs follow you? Number one, you must first believe that He is and then you must be united with the brethren that are next to you and watch God do a great miracle. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. These signs shall follow them that believe. The power of unity. Pastor Churchill referenced it. I thought he was going to preach my message of the day. It's like, come on, man, get off my message. But he referenced this. And we see the miracle. But we don't understand what caused the miracle. Peter, Acts chapter 12. Right before the Easter. Now Herod is there and he's already killed James, right? He's already killed James. And he grabs Pete up. They put him in shackles. He says, oh, you see what I did to that dude? You're next, boy. He said, I'm going to make a spectacle out of you. I'm going to bring you out in front of everybody. I'm going to do to you just what I did to James. Everybody's going to see because everybody's going to be around Jerusalem. Everybody's going to watch me destroy you right in front of everybody. But what Herod did not know. And what Satan did not know is that just down the road a little ways from the jail, there's a young man named John Mark. And John Mark had a mama named Mary. And Mary had a house. And Mary had a full house of apostolic believers that were willing to come together and pray and unite in the spirit of prayer. And they began to intercede. And they began to pull down strongholds. And they began to reach into the spirit realm. And it shook all of heaven. And it shook all of hell. And all of a sudden, there was a supernatural transformation that happened. It moved the hand of God. And angels came into to their presence uh, and God dispatched angels into that jail and before Peter knew it he was looking at a miracle and it already happened and he didn't even realize it that's a beautiful predicament to be in 
have your miracle in your midst and you not even know it's there yet. But now, <laughs> they're there and they're on their hands and knees and they're, they're slobbered and they're spitting in the Holy Ghost. They're doing all they can do, praying and uniting and holding together and, 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 and binding us together and the whole deal. And there's a, a knock on the door. <laughs> Man, a knock on the door. He goes out there. He goes out there. Rhoda, young Rhoda goes out there and looks through the looking glass. There's Peter standing there. She put his butt in the That's a whole nother sermon. That's a whole nother sermon. Your angel did just like you. Brother Steve Adams, you have an angel that did just like you. Oh, well. If he's any bigger than you, I'd be. That whole fear not thing. Woo, glory. You ever notice that when an angel shows up, he says, fear not. That's how you know the difference between an angel and a demon because the demon says, be very scared. But the angel says, fear not. But if I, see, if I seen an angel like Steve Adams, I'd be. That's right, fear not. So there he is, and Peter's at the door, and he's banging on the door. He's like, we're going to let Peter run. And they're like, no, we got to pray that he's released. we got to pray, and it's already knocking at the door. Because somebody decided to come together. And somebody decided to be together in prayer. And say, hey, we're not going to move from here until we get some results from God. And there's a supernatural manifestation that happens when you come together in the spirit of Miracles and signs and wonders can happen. Pastor, why are you preaching like that? Because that's apostolic. Why is it so hard for us to mention that? And, and, and we got to be old school. But let me tell you something. Let me help you out today. In the dimension of the miraculous, God is very comfortable in operating in that dimension. We as ambassadors of Christ should get very comfortable operating in the dimension. Hallelujah. As apostolics, we identify with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. As apostolics, we identify with the doctrine. As apostolics, we live like the apostles did. We believe in signs and wonders. We preach like them. We worship like them. We dress like them. We shout like they do. We believe like they believe. The one missing key to the lower 48 and the one missing key to apostolic dimension revival is you. Brethren, hear me today. This message is not some just Johnny come let me drive my message. I'm not dropping this on you. Have I preached it before? That the key to Alaska, the key to apostolic revival in Alaska and the Yukon is that everybody line up, grab a shield, and come together in the spirit of unity. Listen, let me help you out today. There's no Pentecostal superstars in the Yukon district. 
God didn't call you to be a Pentecostal superstar or a blue blood. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who your mom and daddy was. If you're born again, if you've obeyed John 3 and 5, God has called you into the kingdom to do the supernatural. God has called you into the kingdom to do the miraculous. The missing element to great revival is unity. My God, we have an understanding. This is the point to where this is the point to where I get real serious about some stuff. But let me help you out today. God gave me a new revelation, a greater revelation of this. We cannot have. Help me out, brethren. Let me, let me break it down to you. If I'm wrong, help me out, elders. We cannot afford to have an ox cart religion. An ox cart religion. The Bible says that when David and the children of Israel went to get the Ark of the Covenant, they put it upon an ox cart. They weren't willing to thing that we call our belief, this thing that we call our life-changing belief that, that is in our DNA, our spiritual DNA, should not be an instantaneous, just add water religion. It's not a microwavable thing that we, we could just pop it in a microwave and you have instant popcorn. That's not the way it works here. That ox cart they should have taken that ox cart. They should have destroyed the ox cart. And they should have been like Elisha and sacrificed those oxen unto God. And they wouldn't have gotten themselves in trouble. See, Uzzah wasn't a bad guy. Uzzah wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy that loved God and he was faithful to what his call was. But there in that place of laziness and complacency of the children of Israel thought they had a better way than God did. Oh, I knew that was going to go over like a lead balloon. Hear me. They thought that they could do it their way and not do it God's way. And so they they set the Ark of the Covenant on this ox cart. All it did was take one bump. It shifted. And his jerk reaction, his knee jerk reaction was to steady it. But God said, thou shalt not touch it. It's holy, and thou shalt not touch it. You see... That, that Ark of the Covenant was designed with staves of gold to go through those four holes. And there was four men posted on that thing, Elder. And they bared it upon their shoulders. And they walked together in the spirit of unity. As they carried that Ark of the Covenant upon their shoulders. They did it and they did it in unity. Because if one guy slacked, then the Ark would fall. But as long as they worked together, as long as they stayed together, as long as they walked together in the spirit of unity, the spirit of God had a place. And they were blessed every time they carried it. Why? Because because men came together to bear this thing on their shoulders. Yes, 
God has called you, gentlemen, to bear this cross upon your shoulders. Bear this thing that we call our belief upon our shoulders. This ain't some Johnny-come-lately thing. This thing is eons old. Hallelujah. And you're carrying the Lord of glory upon your shoulders. You're carrying this doctrine of the apostolic faith on your shoulders. And it's not instantaneous. And it's not it's not bag popcorn. And it's not hot pocket religion, friend. Hallelujah. This is a thing that you have to bear together in unity for it to ever work. We've got to carry it. We've got to be able to get our shoulder to the wheel. We've got to be able to put the stave on our back and work together. The only time, let me help you out today, the only time that there was a... a, a uh, Disunity in heaven was when Lucifer decided that he was going to have his own agenda. And God took care of that at the speed of light. That's the reason why when you look at that ark of the covenant, those angels in the spirit of unity. And in the spirit of unity as they faced each other. Hallelujah. And that priest come down upon that thing when there's unity and there's praise and there's glory and there's sweat and there's tears and there's dying inside and there's a, a, a there, there, there is a repentance as Paul said I die daily when all these things come about at the altar of sacrifice as a brazen labor hallelujah at the, at the golden candlesticks at the table of showbread and they get into the holy of holies and the angels are facing each other the spirit of God comes down Of unity. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Burn your ox cart. Burn your ox cart today. Sacrifice that ox on a on an altar. As a pastor, you never, you never run a lack of hearing people say, well, the ox is in the ditch. The ox is in the ditch today, Pastor. I can't make it to Sunday school. The ox is in the ditch today, Pastor. I can't make it to prayer meeting. Ox is in today, Pastor. We can't make it to our little work day, pain party. You know what I'm talking about, right? God's blessed me with great people. Can I tell you that as an evangelist, it's like party all the time. <laughs> but as a pastor, Brother Sparza, he's like shaking his head. See, see. <laughs> as a pastor, it's a whole different ball game, friend. I don't want to be unkind, but it's like babysitting grown folk. It's like pastoring your own, your own teenagers and kids. Why won't they do right? Why won't they do good? But when they do good, they're doing great. It's so rewarding. And it's heartbreaking to see people fail God and, and just not connect. You're saying if they would only connect. The missing element to people in serving God and being used by God 
It's not that they're bad people. It's not that they don't want to do right. But they don't understand the power of unity. They don't understand that it takes you and me working together to, to make the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. They haven't never got the revelation yet that it takes you standing on their right side holding that shield together and saying, we're in this thing together. I may be your pastor, but we're laboring together. The Bible says we labor together, and we're laboring among us, and we're working together. Hallelujah. There's a reason why we do that is because we want to take back what the enemy stole. We want to get our young ones in the house. We want to get backsliders back. I believe, and I'm prophesying to you right now, pastors, hear me. The Lord has shown me that in the next year and a half, there's going to be an influx of backsliders come to the peninsula. I've been told in my city alone, there's hundreds of backsliders in my city alone, just in my city alone. That people have come through Kenai United Pentecostal Church or come through Sterling United Pentecostal Church or come through now Sadatna United Pentecostal Church. And there's backsliders all through these woods. Nikiski, Kenai, Salamanta, Sterling, Sadatna. And they're just sitting there waiting on the call of the Lord. What's going to open their ears is when people decide to get down and they pray in unity together, then the, then the doors and the bars of the jails that they're in in their mental state, in their spiritual state, will swing wide open. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That old story, that old story, I'm about to let you go. I realize you got, some of you got a pretty good drive, but I want to, I want to help you in a couple things here. That old story is reminding me, and now this is probably my version, but there was an old story I, I read one time about a little Dutch boy in a dam. So he goes by, and this is Wicker version 101, so don't hold me to it, okay? But I believe the story goes that a little boy goes by a dam one day and he's out just kind of kicking a can or whatever and he goes and sees this dam and there's that dam and it's got a, and he looks and there's a hole in the dam. So he takes his finger, sticks his finger in the hole. And he just sits there and he holds it like this. Brother Bartlett, all of a sudden, there's another hole that, that, that opens up. So he takes his other finger and he sticks that one in the hole. And now he Guess what? There's one on the left, and he takes it, and now he's spread right there. Without help. There's no help for him. Then the damn bust, and the little boy dies. And all of that is a tragic story. But can I help you today? He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to stick his hand or his finger in the first hole. He could have went back and got some help. He could have went back and got a mason or got a construction guy or got somebody who was an engineer and said, hey, we got a problem down here. Can you help me? Let's, let's work together. Let's do this thing together. And the dam would have been repaired and there would have been no loss of life. Brethren, 
God did not call you to be a maverick. God did not call you to be a person on an island within yourself. We're all Alaskans now, right? It's, it's shocking to me. It, well, that'll work too. But we're not from Florida anymore, right? That's the reason why I sound like I do. I'm not Alaskan, as you can tell. Not by birth, anyway. But by spirit, yes. So now, it was always, it was not shocking, but it was always intriguing to me. And, and, and I'll leave you with this, and I'll give you a testimony or two. But we have to have an understanding. It's hard for us to understand, but the animals, the wild animals can understand. So hard for us to understand. Well, bless God, I'm a man. And I'm an old man, right? Let me help you out. National Geographic a few years ago did a documentary on wolves. And wolves are super intelligent. So you know what wolves do? Brother Rick, he's standing there looking at me. He's going to make sure I do it right and say it right. This is Daniel Boone of Alaska. <laughs> wolves. They get on a ridge. They're looking down at a herd of caribou or a herd of musk ox. And they sit there and they ponder and they study for hours. They'll lay down on their paws, put their, their head down, and they're just watching. And they watch, and they watch, and they're watching. They go, Pastor Wicker, what are you talking about? Why do they do that? Because they're looking for the one that's either weak. They're looking for the one that's standing on the outside of the herd saying, I, I, I don't want to be a, quite be a part. So I'll just kind of stand on the outside, not really make a commitment to this thing. And they put themselves in a vulnerable state. And then those wolves are watching them. And they say, oh, yeah, there's our huckleberry right there. And so now they decide they're going to make their move. And they get two or three coming this way and two or three coming on the outside and two or three that they don't see. And, and what they do is they make a move and they do an old football flank. They get, that, they get themselves wedged between that animal and the herd. And as that animal is now aware that he's in danger. He tries to make it back to the herd, but it's too late. Now he's got wolves standing in the midst of them, between them and safety. And then they began to run him. And they run him, and they run him, and they run him. There's always two or three lagging behind. And so when the wolves that are running him get tired, they relay and those come to the front. And they'll run him, and they'll run him, and they'll run him. And brethren, they'll run him into the place to where he's in complete exhaustion. And he turns around and he looks, and there's nothing normal, nothing secure, and nothing that he knows about safety or anything that, that he recognizes about safety. There's no place that he's at now that he recognizes. And he's so far away from the herd. There's no safety anymore. And they tackle him and they kill him. Say all that to tell you, stay in the middle of the herd. Brethren, if there's a prayer meeting going on, I don't care if 
If King Salmon the size of a Mack truck are running in the river, get inside the prayer meeting. There's a caribou in your front yard on a Sunday morning. Just say hi, I'll see you after I get back from church. Man, that's hardcore, Pastor. Well, let me tell you something. When you're going through a trial and you're going through an illness or you're going through a sickness uh, and you're too weak mentally and you're too weak spiritually, hallelujah, that's when the devil's going to come and he's going to try to flank you. You need to build up your spiritual bank account so when you're down and you're sick, there's something that you can cling to and say, hey, I got a little bit backed up now. I can find someone. I can say, Pastor Glover, pray for me. Lay hands on me. Unify with me that I'm going to overcome my situation. Build up that bank account. And I like to hunt and fish as good as the next guy. And some of you hikers and bikers, get your priorities right. You told me to preach to them. Come on, gentlemen. You're leading your family. What are you teaching your kids? As a pastor, I tell my people that. I said, what are you teaching your kids? Are you teaching them to be faithful to the house of God? Or are you teaching, well, I got a sniffle. I might need to stay home. Oh, Brother Churchill. Help me. Pray for me, Brother Churchill. <clears throat> Amen. I bet they showed up, didn't they? Amen. Amen. You know, they brought, they drug people into the temple. They tear, we got to get a mentality where we're going to tear down the, the roof to get somebody in to be saved. Someone in to be healed. My God, the wolves are there, friend. Satan is as a roaring lion seeking who how he may devour. This is no time to play games. It's no time to lay out a church. It's no time to give the wrong message to your neighbor. Give the wrong message to your kids. My boy's 18 years old. I want to I say that. I, I'm so proud of him. Is he a preacher? He could be. Does he, is he anointed? Absolutely. But one thing that we taught our children, and people ask me all the time. I had some pastors ask me, said, what did you do to your kids? I said, what do you mean? They're like they come to church and they worship and they praise and they pray for people in the Holy Ghost and people get the Holy Ghost with our kids. I'm not bragging on my kids. Your kids can do the same thing. What did I do differently than you did? I made sure that they were in church when the doors were open. A couple weeks ago, about a month ago now, there was type A influenza that came through our church and just rocked our church. There's like 10 people out. And when a church the size of Kenai, when 10 people are out, man, that's a big portion. And I was, I was, uh, I was praying, and, and uh, God, why did you bring me here? They're not here. They're all sick, and I'm so sad for them. I was praying for them, told them don't come to church. I look, and on a Wednesday night, he's throwing up, and he's sick, running 104 fever. 
I left him in the bed about 10 minutes before church. I walk over, and I'm standing there, or, or, or I was there a while, but about 10 minutes before church started, I look, and there that boy is. <clears throat> He's sitting on the back pew. He's sick as a dog, Brother Smith, or Brother Scott. He's sick. He's running 104 fever. I said, Bo, what are you doing here? He just gives me this, one of these. I knew exactly what he was doing here. I said, go home, man. You're going to make people sick. I asked him later, I said, why would you do that, buddy? Why would you come over there? He goes, Daddy, he says, I want those people to know that when there's church, dead, sick, whatever, I'm going to be there. I want to be faithful. I want to be an example to these young people. I want to be an example to the people of God. Listen, your kids are watching you. Your brothers and sisters are watching you. And you might come in on a Sunday morning dragging because you had a late Saturday night. And you don't want to worship. And you don't want to praise because you don't feel right. And you're tired. And your calves and your ankles are aching. And your shoulders are so tired from all that fishing and football. But brethren, he said it one night while he was preaching for me. He said, I don't worship for me. I don't clap my hands and I don't praise Bishop Glover for me. I worship for you and my neighbor and the one next to me. Because if they see me worship, then they'll worship. It's about the power of unity. And I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to leave you with, with this one testimony about unity. I was in Tampa, Florida, preaching a few years ago. And as a lady, it came up to the altar, and I had preached, and it was a whole missions work, a new whole missions work, probably two years old. There's a few backsliders in that church that came in from other assemblies, and there's a lot of new Christians. And I was preaching, and I was, I was spitting, and I was slobbering, and I was sweating. And they're looking at me while I'm preaching like I got three heads, Brother Iker. What are you staring at me all that? I guess they never seen a fat guy move that fast. <laughs> and so when it came time for the altar call, I told them, I said, if you want to receive the Holy Ghost or pray by truth, come to this side of the altar. And then if you need healing, Eleven people came up to be prayed for to get the Holy Ghost. And eleven people left with the Holy Ghost. But there was this one lady that came and, and she walked down the aisle and she made her way to the right. She was over there by herself and she was very collected. She, she was very calm. Um, and so I walked over to her very quietly and said, uh, obviously you're not here to receive the Holy Ghost. She says, I have the Holy Ghost. I said, well, how can I help you today? And she says, I have cancer. She has, I have a stage three mass the size of a grapefruit on my, on my spine. It's metastasized in the bone. And she says, the doctors can't do anything about it because it's wrapped itself around the spinal cord. It's got its grubby hands wrapped around my spinal cord. And the doctors are afraid that if they cut on me, it's going to paralyze me. So basically, I got a 50-50 shot. She said, either I'll be paralyzed or I'll die. The doctors are befitted. They don't understand. They're, they didn't know what to do. 
she says, well, I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll see what my God will do. And so she comes up here and Brother Glover, I honestly, as an evangelist, you want to grab her by both ears. You want to rock her back and forth. Hold on, let's go. Shake it. Shake the Holy Ghost into her. Shake the healing into her. But I didn't do that. And the Lord told me, he said, he said, don't, don't rock her back and forth. Just grab her hand. And I reached over, I said, Sister, let's agree together in Jesus' name. And I remembered that brought that scripture back to my mind where one or two are gathered together. One or two are touching one thing. And I said, let's agree together in unity for your miracle. And I grabbed her hand and we began to pray. And, and I, can, I, I can be honest with you and tell you, I did not feel anything. No prickly hairs on the back of my neck. No warm fuzzies. No, 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 no butterflies in the stomach. I didn't feel a thing. She just, she just said politely, thank you very much. She turned around, walked back to her seat and sat down. That was on Sunday. Well, on Wednesday or on Tuesday, I get a call from her pastor. And her pastor tells me, he goes, bro, bro. He says, seriously? I said, why? He goes, remember that lady you prayed for? I said, yeah, I remember. He said, let me tell you a story. He said, she left there Sunday, went home, and early Monday morning she got a call from that surgeon. He said, hey, listen, I've had a rough weekend. He said, I have not slept. I have not been able to sleep or rest because I've been thinking about you. He says, will you come in Monday morning or will you come in this morning and he let me look at your back again? I, I have got to figure out what we can do to help you. Says sure. So she comes in and they, they prep her and they get her laid up on the table and they put that sonogram thing on her back and they start moving that thing around. And she's laying there and that guy goes, and the surgeon goes, hmm. And she goes, she goes, hmm. He goes, he goes, so he goes to messing with it. He goes, hold on a minute. And he, he fiddles around with the dials and the switches and he, he said, let's try it again. And, hmm. They say, this, something's wrong with it. This thing must be out of calibration. By this time, she gets that little bitty smile. Got that one like, right? Got that eye kicked up. Mm -hmm. So he goes, let, let, he says, this thing's goofed up. It's Monday. You know, things, things get messed with over the weekend. He said, let's send you down the aisle or down, uh, down the two, do two doors down the, the hallway to the MRI machine. We'll put you in the MRI. We'll find this cancer and we'll be able to deal with it. And, and centralize it and figure out where we can make the cut. Put her in the MRI machine. You know what I'm saying? And so they put her in that thing and put her in that tomb and they bring her in there and that thing starts to do all that. They get her up to that point and they start snapping pictures. And all of a sudden, the MRI tech just shuts it down, brings her out, and she says, Did I not pass? And he goes, Well, I'm not seeing anything. And they cut her up in hundreds of pictures. And he says, I'm not seeing anything, Brother Churchill. And she, by this time, she's laughing. And the, and the surgeon comes in and he picks up her chart and he looks at her. And he goes, what's your name again? And she tells me, he says, that's what I thought. He says, your chart says you got this, but, but I'm not seeing anything. She goes, she goes, I know what happened. <laughs> hold on, hold on. We're getting there. He said, he said he, he, she goes, I, I know what happened. And he goes to smile. He says, let me tell you something. He says, there's one other way, and I'll find it. He said, I'm on a quest now. He 
He said, I'm going to find this cancer. And she's smiling by this time. He says, when you take blood, Brother Rick, when you take blood and you've had cancer, there's DNA markers that stay with you forever. There's cancerous markers in your DNA. They stay there. Friend, they took her blood. And glory to God. She's cancer-free. There's no tumor. There's no markers. Jesus gave her new DNA. Listen to me. Listen to me. One month later, the doctor calls her back in just to give her a follow-up. One month later, and where that bone had been eaten away and metastasized the cancer, the doctor says, I don't understand this. What am I looking at here? Because in her bone was new bone tissue, new bone matter. There was new bone marrow. There was new, there was new muscle. There was new fibers all around her back. There was new uh, 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 cervical fluid. There was, everything was brand new because when God does it, uh, He does it right. Oh, stand to your feet today. I believe with everything in me, I'm standing here in front of you and believe that with everything in me today, I'm telling you, that if you will have a made-up mind to be united and in full unity with your pastor, with your brethren in your church, hallelujah. Listen, your man of God is the angel of that city. The Bible in Revelations calls him the angel of the city. He's the one that God put there. And the what God gives them for that church what God gives them for that city. If you were called into that city, it's time for us to lay down our own personal agenda. It's time for us to lay down our own personal Well, I don't think we should do it. I think we should do it this way. Listen, you better line up with your man of God. And that's not a rebuke. I'm telling you that your benefits are forever when you line yourself with a man of God and say, do all that is within thy heart. Hallelujah. The benefits are great. Your health will be better. Your family will be healed. Your finances, your circumstances. Because God honors unity. There's benefits. David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When you line up with your man of God, when you line up with the doctrine, when you line up with the Word of God and allow it to be your, your lamp into your feet and a light into your path, you can't get away from goodness. You can't get away from mercy. You can run all you want to run. David said, if I made my bed in hell, thou art there. <laughs> Job said, though he slay me, and then shall I trust him. I still will trust him. But I'm trying to run for mercy, and it's still right there behind me. I try to run for goodness, and it's following me. No matter where I turn, what's the benefit to that? Every time you need something from God, just reach back and it's following you. Let's reach out to God today. Let's pray a spirit of unity in this district. Come on, God wants to give you unity here. 
There's a supernatural outpouring that God wants to do. There's a supernatural revival that's taken place in this area, in this state, in this district. God wants to do here, but it's going to take men to grab the shield, burn the ox cart, put the shoulder, put the ark on their shoulders and carry it today. And say, God, I'm in it for the win. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it for the win, God. That's it. Reach over, grab your neighbor. Reach over and pray with your neighbor. Reach over and shout with your neighbor. Come on, there's a power. There's a release that's happening right now. There's a release that's happening right now. Burn the ox cart. Go, go back home. Don't go back to who you used to be. Go forward in Jesus. Woo! Come on, there's supernatural power. There's supernatural release in the Holy Ghost. There's supernatural release in the Holy Ghost. Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, I feel like we can release a word of faith in here today. As you're praying, listen to me. I'm going to release a word of faith in here. And when I say hallelujah, you say hallelujah to as loud as you can. If you're sick in your body, if you need a miracle in your family, you need a miracle in your finances, I want you to just say hallelujah as loud as you can and watch God move for you. By the authority of the name Jesus, by the blood that was shed at Calvary, by those stripes that were put upon his back, I release healing in this place. I release revival in this place. I release anointing in this place. Oh, God, miracles, signs, and wonders in here today. In the name of Jesus, and everybody say hallelujah. Receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it. There it is right there. There it is, Rick Abbott, right there, right there. Cancers are leaving. Diabetes is leaving. Heart disease is leaving. Back pain is leaving. All the issues, all the problems, all the struggle. Come on, right now, by the power of unity. Yes!
Come on, that's it. Just press, just push. This last service, come on. If you need something special for God, reach your hands way up. Come on, if you need a change in your life, just hands way up. Come on, if you need a rekindling, a renewing, a refire, come on, allow God to touch you today.